if you take your Bibles this morning and open them to the Gospel of John chapter 17. This morning as we bring to conclusion the high priestly prayer, the Lord's Prayer, I was sad. It seems as though uh, as we come to the end of chapter 17, I know we've got four books or so or four chapters left uh, through the Gospel of John. And so we will be in here for some time yet. But still at the at the end of the 17th chapter, it just seems as though uh, the end is near. The end is in sight. And um, I so much have enjoyed uh, my time studying through these uh, through these few verses here, the 26 verses of the 17th chapter. And I trust that you have found it meaningful also. And so today, uh, John chapter 17, verse 20 to 26, the greatest intercessor I have called this. And God's inspired and inerrant, infallible word reads, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your, known, your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Father, I now ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. Father, would your spirit illuminate this text for us so that we can understand what it means and understand how to apply it to our life. And Father, as we uh, look into these few verses and come to a close of the, um, the greatest prayer ever prayed, at least that we have recorded for us, uh, Lord, that your, your, your spirit would search our hearts and our minds. And Father, only you uh, know what each one of us is, is uh, lacking this morning, what each one of us is, is celebrating this morning. And so, Father, I pray that uh, as we take a few moments, <clears throat> that you would meet each one of us right where we are. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. To somewhat hesitate starting out like this because it doesn't seem quite appropriate and breaking the bit character maybe, but I'll ask a question. Uh, what does it mean when someone says that he or she is the goat? The greatest of all time. That is correct. And that would be Graham. He is the goat of all state highway patrolmen. Is that correct? We can go with that because no, there's no other here. So, hey, we'll go with that. And uh, yeah, the greatest of all time. That's all it means. Uh, and as I call this the, the great inter, <clears throat> the greatest intercessor, it's, it's really I could have called that for the for the whole chapter. Uh, but, you know, staying on the theme of, of great, we also have the goat commandment. What is that? What would be the greatest commandment of all time? Yeah, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Right. And then we have. <clears throat> First Corinthians, chapter 13. And what would be the goat or what would be the, the greatest part or the greatest word or the greatest thing or the greatest gift of 
1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's love, right? I mean, uh, what does it say? But now faith, hope, love abide. But the greatest of these is love. And also the Bible would tell us that if you want to be the goat on earth, if you want to be the greatest on earth, you must be what? You must be a servant. And if you want to be the greatest in heaven, you must be what? You must be as humble as a child. I mean, the paradox there, it just seems as though it's certainly we get it mixed up so many times. And so as we think about the greatest intercessor being Jesus. And so in these final few verses of this prayer, uh, I want you to see and we will look at just two points, really two greatest, if you will. And it's going to be the greatest ask, the greatest ask of verse 20. And then we have the greatest desire of verse 24. So the greatest ask of Jesus to the Father and then the greatest desire that Jesus expresses to the Father. And he starts out in verse 20a right off the bat and he says, I do not, in the negative, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Now again, we must stop just for a moment. We've got to understand as we think about the greatest intercessor, when Jesus is asking something of the Father, do you think His prayers are heard? Do you think his prayers are answered? Do you think he knows how to pray? I would think he does. And so as we think about Jesus praying, their prayers will be answered exactly as how he is praying for them. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but I also ask on behalf of those whom you have given me. And so the interesting thing here, I think it's interesting. And as we think about ask on behalf, he, he, he starts in three different places and he says, I do not ask. And so there he asks. And yet there's also times where he says, I do not ask. He does it in verse nine where he says, I ask on behalf on their behalf. And then he says, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but I ask on behalf of those whom you have given me. And then down in verse 11, it would answer how he is asking that. And so his ask is not on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those he ha you have given me in verse 9. And then verse 11, he says what he's asking, that those you have given me, that you would keep them in your name, in your name. He does the same thing in verse 15. Praying for those that the Father has given him. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. This is again a negative. I don't ask that you take them out of this world that is against them. But I ask in verse 15 that you keep them from the evil one. So there's this ask that Jesus is asking of the Father, and then there's the request that he is actually making. I'm going to ask on behalf of them alone, verse 20, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That would be you and I. That would be for all those who believe in, the, in his word. So, so Jesus is praying on behalf of those who are before him directly right there in the room with him, hearing and listening to the prayer. And also as he looks down the tunnel of time and as he sees how, who will all the Father is going to be giving him, he prays for those also. Jesus not only prays for the eleven, but he also prays for all whom the Father has given him. And if you remember uh, back quite some time ago where Jesus had told and Jesus started telling his disciples uh, about, uh, I have other sheep in John chapter 10, verse 16. He said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, but must bring them also. 
and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. It is now those sheep that Jesus is praying for as he's getting ready to exit this earth. And Jesus is now praying on behalf of these other sheep. And again, do you think the prayers of Jesus are answered? Well, I think that's obviously, I think, I hope, a question, a question in rhetorical nature. We know his prayers are answered. In verse 20b, at the end of this verse, he says that they would also, those whom you have given me, those who will come, those I am praying for, those who are going to come to believe in me through their word, through the word of the disciples, through the word of these particular 11 right here. And we must focus in on just, just a little bit here this morning on this, their word. I mean, this obviously means the word that they heard from Jesus. So, so the word that the disciples heard from Jesus that Jesus heard from the Father, that the Father gave to Jesus, Jesus gave to the disciples, the disciples are now giving them to us, and he's done it in, in, in specifically out of the 27 books of the New Testament that we have. These are the words that now that Jesus is saying, they're going to come to believe in you through me. Verse 14, I have given them your word, Jesus says as he's praying to the Father. Verse 17, and he says, what is your word? Your word is truth. That is what it what it is. And so it is by this way that all believers, that any believer will come to Christ. It is going to be through his word outside of scriptures. We I have nothing to say. We've got nothing to say in matters of God outside of the scriptures. In fact, I want to um, just as a way of, of cross reference, I, I want to go to Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, as we think about. After this time period, we think of uh, uh, Paul, who some would argue is, is the, the greatest apostle, but certainly I wouldn't want to label any one of the apostles as the greatest. But nonetheless, we, we do know that the apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, much of the New Testament. In Romans chapter, in, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 8, he says, but what does it say? He says, the word is near you in your mouth, and in your heart. What is that? That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's the word they are preaching. Verse 13, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how will they call upon the name of the Lord? Verse 14, that's exactly what Paul says. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe on him who they have not heard? And how will they hear unless, some, unless they are sent a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Listen, there's no different today than it was right here as Jesus was praying this prayer. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to Jesus outside the words of the Father that were given to Jesus, that Jesus gave to the disciples, that now the disciples give to us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by active human will, but holy men wrote, were moved by the Holy Spirit as they heard as they wrote from God. 
Your words I gave them, he said in verse 8. These are the words that are before us. This is the importance that I put upon Scripture. And I might also add, as we think about Romans chapter 10, you know, it uses the word, word preacher there. Of course, that's, that, that would be a word, the correct word. But also, every single one of us, in a sense, are a preacher, are we not? Every single one of us has a role to play. Every single one of us are preachers. Every single one of us are evangelists. Every single one of us are apologists as we are to share the hope and spread the hope and give the hope that is within us. And we only do that because of what the Word has done. And we've been washed with the water of the Word has done to our own lives. And so what is this greatest ask as we move along? What is the greatest ask that Jesus is praying about here? Well, verse 21. It starts out with first that they may all be one. This is the first thing that Jesus is asking for. Is that I ask on behalf of those given to me. I ask on those who will come. And this is what I want for them. This is what I wish for them, that they would all be one. And, and we must understand that, that one is one and one is not plural, right? One is not plural. One, one is one. We get that. Verse 21, that you sent me. He says in verse 21. So I want them all to be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe, the very end of that verse, that you sent me. That's what he wants them to understand. Interestingly enough, five times in this prayer of Jesus, that is what his desire is. That they know, that people know, that we know that Jesus was sent on behalf of of the Father. Verse 3, verse 8, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25. You can look them up for yourself. In each one of those, Jesus' desire is that they would come to know that Jesus was sent by the Father. John 3.17. We're so used to hearing John 3.16, but John 3.17, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that what? That the world would come to know and be saved through him. That is the desire of Jesus in this last prayer of Jesus that he spoke out loud here. And there is no other way, right? There is no other way unto salvation except through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is it. One is not plural. One is one. His desire is that they would be one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me, Jesus is very clear in this matter, there are not multiple ways to the Father. This is what Jesus is praying for, that they would all be one. There's not multiple ways. Some people will talk and use language like, well, there's multiple ways up the mountain. Well, I'm not sure I'm not climbing a mountain at the moment. There very well may be, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about our salvation. We're talking about our eternal security. It is only through Jesus Christ. That is his prayer that he wants us to understand that they would all be one in this belief, in this understanding. He says in verse 21, what is the, the oneness that he would want? He says, I am in you, you are in me, they are in us. You see the continuity that is here. There's no confusion. There's, no, there's only unity that Jesus is speaking about. There is only God's way. Why? Well, we have the so what or the so that here. We have the so that. 
that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, you know, we, we, we get this often as Christian people, do we not? Where the world that is watching us says, well, you guys can't even get it straight. You guys are constantly dividing. You guys are constantly fighting. This person says he's a Christian and this is what he or she believes. This person says he's a Christian. He says this is what they believe and they contradict each other. If you guys can't get it straight, why should we believe it? Right? This is, this is the prayer that Jesus, why he's praying for us, that there would be unity among us and that we would all be one just as they, they are one so that the world may believe that those out of the world that the Father is going to give to the Son and that they would believe, that they would keep on believing. It says that they would believe, but, but the sense is that they would keep, they would believe and keep on believing. Now, of course, that doesn't make good sense in English, and so we just translate it as that they would believe. But really, it's not only that they would believe, but they would keep on believing. Those who come to believe will keep on believing. I cannot think of anything more exciting, anything more encouraging. Anything more hope-filled than to know that those who come to Christ by believing in the Word of God will continue in Christ. Listen, there's times where Jesus talks about the sheep. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting kind of tired of being compared to a sheep. But nonetheless, uh, Jesus often compares us to the sheep and to a shepherd. And he says, hey, the true sheep, the true shepherd they don't come outside of the door. They, they don't come over the wall. We, we don't have sheep that are halfway in the fold and halfway out. I don't have one foot in the fold or one hoof, excuse me, one hoof in the fold and one hoof out of the fold. No, but I am all in. I am all in the sheep. Those who come all the way to Christ are truly those who follow Christ. And also, the second point I want to make on this one, that they will all be one, that is used five times as an adjective. And he says in verse 11, that they may be one, even as we are one, praying to the Father. Verse 21, that they may all be one. Verse 22, that they may be one, just as you are one, just as we are one. Verse 23, that they may be perfected in unity. Same word, but he changes it up a bit that they may be perfected in unity. Now, the verse 1 here, uh, again, we could go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, just, just simply as to, to make, a, make a point, where it says, if somebody asks you to go one mile, don't go one mile, go two, right? So we understand the one and the two. Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, where, where Jesus says, listen, married folks, right? They are no longer two but one flesh. And so just to try to think through this just a little bit, married couples, un we understand this, right? We understand this. For instance, um, just, just to be a bit silly, uh, you, know, you know, my wife, she, she likes this cheap white bread toast stuff, and I really don't. Uh, so I like Dave's killer bread. It's the best bread. And she doesn't really like it. It's too roughage for her. Uh, but nonetheless, we endure with each other and we have these different likes, these different desires. She does enjoy coffee. She doesn't enjoy it the way that I do, but she enjoys it, right? And so we have these uniqueness within a relationship. We have this uniqueness in our personalities. And yet, and yet when it, when it comes, when the question comes up of exclusivity in the relationship, there is no differing of understandings in that, is there? I don't think that there is. There is no discussion. You're exclusively my husband. You're exclusively my wife. 
it's in that metaphor, it's in that picture of a marriage that we can understand what Jesus is saying here. It is this type of oneness that Jesus is praying for. Just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they have different roles, different functions, and yet there's one in this trinity, right? There's this oneness in the trinity. Romans chapter 12, verse 5, where Paul says, So we who are many, speaking of the church, are one body in Christ. And so we come out of, out of, out of the marriage relationship. We come into the church and as each one of us are here, we have different ideas, we have different likes, we have different dislikes, and yet as a body of Christ, we're all on the same page, right? We're one in that. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Again, you've got multitudes, you've got multiple people coming together, and within that, there's the uniqueness of the individuality, and yet there's the oneness in our relationship, in our belief, in our understanding of Christ. As a body of believers, there are certain doctrines. This is exactly what Jesus is speaking of here when he says, so that the world may believe, this is talking about doctrine, that the world may believe that you sent me. As a body of believers, there's a few things we agree to as a, as a body. <clears throat> I could pick on a number of different, different items, but to keep it simple, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. I would hope that all of you this morning who are here and call yourselves a follower of Jesus would certainly believe that. Also, for us who are here this morning, I would certainly hope and assume that as we do relationship together as coveted members of Holly Grove, that we believe that, that marriage is between a man and a woman. These are some of the just the foundational things that we believe. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We may have some different understanding how the Bible may apply to our life, but those are just a few things that we understand. We can take this up just to not... Uh, right, uh, ratchet it up just a bit of a notch as we look at leaders in the context of finding another elder, finding another leader of the church. The leaders, the shepherds, they need to have a different, a better, a fuller understanding of what some of those things mean. Not only do we believe that Jesus is the Christ, we believe that Jesus is the only way. Not only do we believe as leaders of Holly Grove that marriage is between a man and a woman, we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman for life. And we understand that divorce is only acceptable in the context of biblical definition of such a thing. We understand that God has made some provisions within the parameter of the biblical text. And we also understand that the Bible is not only the Word of God, but we believe it is inerrant. It is inspired. It is infallible. It is the only thing by which we lead a church. You see the sense of the unity that Jesus is praying here for. You say, ah, you know, I think you're doing a little bit of eisegesis and exegesis. Well, I will challenge you to show me how I'm doing that, and I will certainly be willing to listen. But this is exactly the prayer that Jesus has as he's exiting this world, and he's praying on the behalf of the disciples that he has trained, that he has developed these men to go out to plant churches and to continue to evangelize. There must be a sense of oneness of unity. That is what he's praying for. He's using himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as an example, as the only model for this unity. <clears throat> See it in verse 23. 
He says, I'm in them, you are in me, that they may be perfected in unity. This perfected in unity, ESV, the English Standard Version uh, of our Pew Bible there, would translate this as become perfectly one, that they would become perfectly one. Um, and and the, the perfect here, or perfectly one, it's really only one word, it's telos, which is just end. You know, and we're quite familiar with that, right? So, so this is end. And why do I find the significance that the root word here is, is that? And that is because this is the wholeness. This is the completion that Jesus is praying for as he goes to the Father. Perfect unity as the Father and the Son are perfect in unity. This is our goal. This is what Jesus is praying for on behalf of the disciples. We had it earlier. Um, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. In verse 13, I guess it was last week, according to my notes in my Bible here. Uh, that would have been last week. But it says that, but now I come to you, Jesus says, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. It's that consummation. It's that completion. It's that bringing to a closure, that bringing to an end. This is exactly the same thing that Jesus is saying here. Just as your joy, as the believer's joy is completed, is satisfied, is fulfilled in Christ, so is this model of unity. It is only perfected as it's perfected within the Trinity. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says this. He says, not that I have come to already obtain it. So how am I supposed to be perfect? How is this unity supposed to work? <clears throat> not that I have come to already obtain it, but I have a, that I have already become perfect. He says, I understand I'm not perfect. He himself acknowledges in the list many of his faults, many of his imperfections. But he continues, but I press on so that, this is why he presses on, so that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? He says, so that I may lay hold of that which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. This was a work that was already done within Paul. Just as the Jesus is praying for all those the Father is going to give him, Paul is acknowledging that he was laid hold of by Jesus. And it is within that perfection that he can also realize his imperfections and also realize the perfection that is being fleshed out, that is being worked out, the sanctification that is being worked out in his life. Well, hopefully you're still with me. You know, it was interesting. Um, this past week, I was up at, outside of D.C. for continuing education. And as you sit in three solid days of lectures, which I thoroughly enjoy, and not everybody would, of course, but I was again just reminded that as we think about um, education, and as we think about continuing education, which I'm a big fan of that. We should all be continuing to learn. And we all, one way or the other, we are. But we got to also careful how much status we place upon a piece of paper. You know, I, I'm always you know, kind of taken back. and You know, where people say, well, well, this person, and then they say, well, he or she is a PhD. So is that like the conversation's over? So I guess they're right. Well, how about if I put forth two PhDs that disagree with your PhD, right? And so, so I get the idea of continuing education, and I get the idea as we come to the text, and I guess the application that I'm trying to be made there, as we come to the text, and especially the Gospel of John, and especially on this 17th chapter, as I tried to 
become a bit more pointed in this chapter. Uh, listen, we can read books and those shelves full of books, books read, and that's a sorrow that I have. But, 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 but listen, ultimately, ultimately we must, we must read the Scriptures and allow the Spirit to illuminate the text for us. Not just read books, not just listen from men or women that are incredibly intelligent. We need to listen to them, but ultimately, it needs to be laid alongside the Scripture. And I guess I just, just say that for whatever reason. Um, maybe I shouldn't have even said that. Um, but as we go through the text, it's just my greatest desire uh, that you would <clears throat> come to where I am in this idea that outside the text, I've got nothing. Well, anyways, you can dismiss that or accept that. But that's the greatest ask of Jesus here, that those whom the Father has given would be one even as the Father and the Son are one. And now I want to transition uh, to the second ask or the second greatest, and this would be the desire of Jesus. What is His desire? What is the desire of the Son's heart? And that is that those that the Father has given Him would be with the Son and would see His glory. Well, listen to what Jesus says in verse 24. Father, it's just such a beautiful transition into to this term of a son to a father. Father, I desire. This, this is what I desire. As Jesus is praying to the Father. Do we see this picture? Father, I desire that they also, who is the, that whom you have given me, he says right here, whom you have given me, be with me. It is the son's desire that we would be with him. Why? So that where I am, they may be also. And so that they may see my glory, which you, Father, have given me, and that you have given it to me before the foundation of the world was ever a thought. I don't know about that. Before the foundation of the world had ever come into existence. See, in John chapter 14, verse 3, remember as Jesus is trying to bring his disciples along so that they can understand him, he says, hey, I'm going to leave. They're like, what? Where are you going? We kind of left everything. Where are you going? But he says, I'm going to go. In John chapter 14, verse 3, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Why? Why? So that where I am, there you may be also. Right? And this is what Jesus is now praying for. I desire that they would be with me and that they would come with me and that they would see the glory that you have given me. Not only those that you have given me, but the ones who are going to come to me into the future. And that they would also see this glory, the glory that you gave me because you have loved me. This is the prayer of the Son to the Father as He's praying for you and I. In John chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus said to the man laying outside the pool of Bethesda, and I just find it an interesting question. Jesus asked the man, do you wish to get well? Wish is the same word as desire. Wish can desire, they can be used interchangeably here. So he says, do you wish, do you desire to get well? Well, now my smart aleck attitude would say, oh, Jesus, I've been laying here for 38 years. Good, thank you very much, right? And he says, do you wish, do you have a desire to get well. What's your desire? What is our delight? 
We're quite familiar with Psalm 37, 4. I think for most of us, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in Yahweh and what? And he will give you the desires of your heart. We know this verse. We also know James chapter 4, 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. See, we ask how we know. We ask the desires of our heart. James can be a bit harsh here, I think, framing it in those words, but we ask how we know. We don't know any better other than to ask the Father for the desires of our heart and leaving it there and knowing 1 John 5 is the, the, grandpa, the grandpa John now comes out when he's telling his children, his grandchildren, sitting around his rocking chair, and he says, this is the confidence which we have before him, before God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he answers us. He answers us. Well, again, this prayer of Jesus. Don't you think that Jesus knows? Don't you think the greatest intercessor knows exactly how to ask? I think so. Verse 25, as he brings this to a conclusion, and he says, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. Although the world has rejected you. This is what he's praying. These here have accepted you. The world is still rejecting Jesus. And there's still those who the Father has given the Son who are coming to Jesus. Next week, where we'll see a little bit of the results of this rejection as we go into the 18th chapter. But verse 26 and I have made your known your name known, Jesus says, to them, those the Father has given, and they will make it known and continue to make your name known, not just to those they come in contact with, but across and around the globe, around the world, so that the love with which you loved me be in them and I in them, so that your love and my love remain in them. This is how Jesus pray, finishes this prayer. A prayer that he's prayed to the Father all these many, many years ago. He was praying for you and I right here in this garden. Have you received him? Or have you rejected him? Have you answered the call to the prayer that he has on your behalf as he prayed here in the garden on behalf of you and I? I trust that you have. I trust that you have. I, I pray that as you... Um, as we move on from this Lord's Prayer now, and I really hate to, but there's times where we wonder sometimes. You may find yourself in that position where I don't even know how to pray. May I offer and suggest that you would open your Bible to the Gospel of John and read this prayer when you don't even know how to pray. Father, I thank you for words. I thank you for this, this prayer, this high priestly prayer as we call it, but it is your prayer, the heart of a son to the heart of the Father. And Father, as we look through the truths and the way that you prayed on our behalf, Father, sometimes I'm left wondering, can I really believe this? Can I really accept this? This is too good for me. And yes, Lord, maybe all those things are really true. But Father, your word is truth, as you said in this prayer. And as we think about um, this final act, if you will, this final message, if you will, uh, verbally to your disciples and then 
uh, through the inspiration of your spirit to us here today. That your final uh, prayer as you exited this world. Father, would you take these words of your prayer and would you place them deep within our hearts and deep within our minds as sometimes we, we struggle through this word, this world ourselves, as we will see your disciples, they themselves did from this point forward. And Father, would you take these truths and would you place them within our heart? Would they bring us encouragement? Would they bring us strength? Would they help us to endure in those times where we can't do it ourselves? And so, Father, I, I do pray that as we um, <clears throat> bring your prayer to a close, words that were spoken that are from you, and Father, would those have their way within us? And for those words, Lord, that were incorrect, uh, Father, we as people are not perfect. We don't have a perfect understanding. So those that may have been incorrect, Father, would you just erase and remove those from our remembrance? I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.